0: And Jeremy, I hope, uh, guys, you'll consider being involved in that ministry. What a wonderful opportunity to invest in the lives of uh, uh, other men. Be invested uh, in your life as well. Well, um, if you haven't been at Keystone for a while, we've been doing some scripture memory together uh, as a church. And so uh, today's no different. So if you want to stand to your feet, if you're visiting with us, just uh, watch and learn. Um, you don't get the verse today. This is the last Sunday in January, so you get a new verse next week. So hopefully we have it down by now that we can uh, do it by heart. And you remember we say the reference first and then the verse and then the reference. All right, you ready to try this without any aids? No assistance? Thank you. <laughs> Wasn't a rhetorical question. All right, here we go. Ready? John fourteen six. Jesus told him, I. John. This is the word of the Lord. Nice job. You may be seated. Give yourself a round of applause for your good efforts. An enthusiastic round of applause for your own efforts. <laughs> is it is it that early in the morning? Is that the problem? So next week we'll have a new verse. It'll be in uh, your bulletin when you get it. And if you want to get a head start, Acts 4.12 is the reference. Uh, We'll be memorizing again out of the New Living Translation. And again, our hope is at the end of this year, we have a a good handful of verses. All of these verses are are either about the gospel or or gospel shaping for our lives. And uh, you'll end up with about 18 verses, I think, till the end of the year. And hopefully that will be a blessing to you personally and also a great blessing. aid in your, uh, in your ministry with, with other people as well. Well, find the book of Luke, uh, chapter 9, <clears throat> this morning. Um, and by the way, if you are um, sort of person that kind of learns better by writing things down, we do have uh, sermon notes available for you each week. Uh, we don't put them in the bulletin because we used to do that, and we just end up throwing a lot of paper away. Um, so if you're really interested, you're really serious about it, um, there's a little table between the two uh, sets of doors going out to the lobby, in the lobby on the lobby side. And you can each Sunday morning, you can grab one when you come in. Uh, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Uh, but just uh, know that it's there for you uh, each week. Uh, we're finishing up a mini-series today that we've been doing in the month of January. Next week, be back into a, a regular study of the book of Luke uh, that we started last November called The Doctor's Cure. Uh, but we've been talking about uh, during this month are different kinds of loves that help uh, identify followers of Jesus as followers of Jesus. And so we talked about the love that uh, for Christ that draws us to share the gospel with people. We talked about the uh, the love for the world, even people that we don't know, both believers. Um, maybe who are being persecuted, unbelievers who need Christ to be able to pray for them, to be able to give to them, so forth. We talked about um, broad love, about people that we really might not like or might not be interested in. Use kind of a case study of refugees and how we think about them and care for them. Uh, today we want to talk about a little, something a little different. <clears throat> the title of my message is Deadly Love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-one. I face death every day. I face death every day. Now, the temptation is to look at that and say, Paul was a missionary. It was risky business. But Paul's concern, Paul, the reason that Paul faced death was not just because he had chosen a risky profession. It wasn't like he was deciding, um, I want to be a firefighter, or I want to be a police officer, or I want to be a soldier. And had to wrestle with, am I willing to run into a burning building and risk my life? Am I willing to go out on the battlefield fully armed and, and with all my gear on but risk losing my life? am i willing to take that risk and go this route it was not paul's prof- it was not paul's profession that put him at risk it was paul's confession paul had confessed jesus christ as lord and savior and that changed everything not just because he was going to go into areas where people were going to threaten him but because he, by virtue of following the one who had laid down his life for him, was also going to have to face a life where he might have to lay down his life for his Savior as well. Now, here in 21st century America, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the chances that you're going to be killed for your faith are pretty much non-existent. And for the foreseeable future, that's probably going to be true. I think down the road that could eventually change, but we, today we really don't have any concerns that when our colleague at work finds out we're a Christian that he's going to, you know, shoot us or, or he's going to lay and wait for us one night after work and ambush us. We just don't, we don't have that fear. We don't have that fear that our neighbors are going to have it in for us because we're a Christian. They might not like us. They might object to what we believe, but they're not going to, we're not really in danger physically. That, however, does not mean that as followers of Jesus Christ that we don't need to be prepared to die to our plans, die to our preferences, die to our own desires and wants if we're going to truly follow Jesus Christ. That call to Jesus, the call that Jesus has to us is come and die. If you're a Christian, the call, <clears throat> excuse me, the call that Jesus gave to you when you professed Christ was come and die with me. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to understand that because it's, it's possible that someone who cares about you and is sharing the gospel with you may neglect to tell you this piece. So we're going to hear Jesus' own words this morning and this uh, call to us uh, to come and die for him. And the tagline I want to use this morning is that he wants us to be prepared to obey him without regard to self-preservation. Obedience without regard to self-preservation. Obedience without preservation. So let me, read, uh, let me pray for us, and then we're going to read just a couple of verses in, here in Luke uh, chapter 9. <clears throat> Father God, we, um, we who know Christ as we've just sung, are so grateful that Jesus did everything necessary to save us. But it is possible that we have not fully grasped what that gift to us has called out from us, especially in a, in a, in a place, in a culture, in an era in which there's little threat to us, as Christians, truth be told, when we trusted Christ, there was, not, there was no big danger on the horizon for us. It was a relatively easy decision, or it might have been. And, and perhaps there are some here this morning who've not really wrestled with Jesus' call, full out, full bore, no reservations, no concern about self-preservation call in their life. Just not wrestle with it. And there might be people here who don't know Christ, who have been contemplating faith. They've been just learning a more a bit about it as they have gone along, whether it's coming here or whether it's talking to a Christian friend or maybe reading something that's piqued their interest, uh, who need to know... What is the cost that Jesus demands? And so don't let me get this wrong this morning, Lord. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to speak through the Word of God um, to the hearts of those of us who know Christ as well as those who are yet on the way. And because the enemy hates you, hates the gospel, hates hates it when uh, the people of God go full out for Christ without any reservation. We know that he would like to confuse us this morning, uh, make me get it wrong, um, blind us to the truth. And so we pray that you would bind the enemy and muzzle him so that we can hear instead from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 9, beginning verse 23. Then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Now, what had taken place just prior to this, Jesus had told his his followers, his 12 disciples slash apostles, as well as a a, a larger crowd that gathered right after that, that he was going to to die. This is the first time he had um, introduced them to his future. He says, uh, I'm going to be rejected by the key leaders of Judaism. Uh, They're going to kill me and they're going to, uh, and then I'm going to be raised to life. And now he's talking about their sacrifice. Now, it's interesting, there's one little tidbit of information that's not included in Luke's account of this incident. We see it in Mark, uh, and we see it in Matthew's account. And that is between Jesus saying, I'm going to die, and and him calling them to be willing to die, is this little thing with Peter. Peter turns around after hearing Jesus is going to die and he says, no way, absolutely not, not going to happen to you. We're not going to let it happen to you. A couple of us have swords. We're going to stand between you and trouble. This is not going to happen to you. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? Get behind me. Didn't call him Peter. Didn't call him Simon. Get behind me, Satan. For you do not have in mind the things of God, you have in mind rather the things of man, of people. <laughs> now what's comical is you go back to Matthew 16 and read this incident there. Right before this, I mean right before this, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, You are, you are Peter, the rock, and on you I will build my church. our Catholic friends think that means Peter was the first pope. We don't believe that. But we do think that Peter was a foundation stone that that the church was formed on. He was the first pastor of the first church at Jerusalem. And and the, the, the church was built on him. And yet, this guy, this guy, Jesus now calls Satan. And then he goes right from there into this. Look, if you want to be my disciple... Here's what, I, here's what I expect. Here's what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And I want to look at each of those commands because each of them are a command. They're an imperative. And I want to look at them. They, they almost look like, wow, that's the same. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. It's, it, and that really variations on a theme? Uh, yes and no. I want to try to unpack that a little this morning, And that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. These three commands that Jesus says, I want you to, um, I want you to deny yourself. By the way, in the NLT it says, um, turn from your selfish ways. Almost every other good translation uses the phrase deny yourself, which I think is much better. Um, turn from your selfish ways almost sounds like um, admonishing Johnny to make sure he shares his toys with his sister. And that's not what he's talking about. When Jesus says deny yourself, he's basically saying you be prepared to say no to yourself. You be prepared to say no to yourself. And not just in the sense of turning from sin. That's certainly not excluded, but that's not the main thing that Jesus is speaking about. He's talking about them saying, not just saying no to sin, but saying yes to whatever it is, whatever it is that Jesus calls you to do. Anything and everything. Now, this is obviously not the message that we get today from uh, e, e! Entertainment tonight or, or from our universities or, or even uh, our high school counselors, maybe even your parents. How many uh, of you grew up hearing your parents calling you to come and die for Jesus Christ? What do we do as parents? We put a fence around our kids to make sure they don't get damaged, make sure they don't get hurt, make sure there's no threat to them. But By the way, Christian parents, I would challenge you to ask yourself, is that what the Bible calls us as moms and dads to do? 61 years ago this month, in the jungles of Ecuador, five men who had gone there to reach the Waroni people with the gospel were speared to death by those very people. Now they left behind five wives and a parcel of children. And the world was asking and this became this became literally global news. 1956 Ended up, the story ended up on the cover of Life magazine. Some of you don't have a clue what that is. That was a big deal magazine years ago. Pictures of uh, one man lying in the Kururai River with a spear through his back. And the airplane that was on that sandbar in the, in the river, stripped of its fabric by the Waronais. They fled back into the jungle, burned their homes, and fled fearing retribution. And the world asked, "Why would anyone go to the jungle and take that kind of risk?" The men that were killed—these were men who were who had uh, great skill mechanically, who who were class presidents, who were um, were uh, nationally renowned orators and debaters, athletes. These these were men who could have done anything they wanted to and been successful, and instead they went a place that most people had never heard of, they took their families into that dangerous place. And they left their wives widows and their kids fatherless. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, this is what Jesus says. If you want to be my disciple... You must hate everyone else by comparison. And then he talks about all the folks we love most. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, otherwise you cannot be my disciples. This is the kind of thing that the cults have twisted in extreme groups and saying, you know, if you want to really follow Jesus, you have to Leave your spouse and go your own way and, and turn your kids over to us and let us raise your kids because this is what Jesus, they, 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 don't, they haven't looked at the breadth of Scripture, number one. Number two, they haven't understood Jesus' purpose. I heard one guy describe it this way. He says, I love the Seattle Seahawks. Why? I have no idea, but Tina, I, some, I know some people do. He says, I love the Seattle Seahawks. He said, but if I'm watching a game and my wife needs to go to the hospital, I don't keep watching the game. I love my wife more than the Seattle. That's Jesus' whole point. He's not saying you shouldn't love your wife. In fact, the scriptures say we should love our wives as Christ loved the church. He's not saying that wives shouldn't love their husbands. Titus 2, the older women in the church teach the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. But in comparison, in other words, if I have to pick and choose between saying yes to Jesus and yes to someone else I love dearly, Jesus is going to call me out. Are you willing to do what I want you to do, even if it costs you your life, even if it risks someone you love, or even, even if it ultimately says no to someone you love? Do you understand why people who were initially following Jesus began to filter away and say, this is hard teaching? It is hard teaching. But it's what Jesus calls us to do. Deny ourselves. Love for him that eclipses all other loves, both for other people as well as for myself. Now, again, most of us aren't going to be called to to die for Jesus. So, uh, you know, at ground level, uh, 2017, what kinds of things might come into play? What kinds of things is Jesus calling me uh, uh, to deny myself in on a Monday morning in Strasburg, Pennsylvania? We have a lot of young parents in this congregation betty and i were young parents once there are some advantages to getting old don't miss those days well i miss some parts about them but it's a struggle isn't it i I remember feeling as a young dad for much many of the years i was raising uh, we were raising our children like a failure anybody identify you just feel like you don't get it right you don't do it right you you're trying but both with how your kids react to you, as well as, with you, as you look and say, God, what do you want me to do with these kids? You, you feel like you just don't get it right. And by the way, young parents, you won't. That's why you need the grace of Christ. You're gonna make a boatload of mistakes, and those mistakes you are, being, uh, you are making today so that you can help your kids when the grandkids come along. But moment by moment, you are confronted, especially as moms, but certainly moms and dads, but especially as moms, moment by moment, you are being confronted with, am I going to do what would be easiest for me right now, or am I going to do what I know Christ would want me to do? This is a very practical way in which you're going to deny yourself. You may be working on a project. The kids are quiet finally for once. And you're working on something that you're enjoying. And then a squabble starts up between the two two of them. They're fighting about some toy or who knows what. And you just want to ignore it. My time. Maybe even get up and close the door between the two of you. It may be an issue of discipline. It may be an opportunity for you to connect with your child down at at eye level instead of just phoning in your parenting. But you know, you know what Christ would want you to do. Deny yourself. Jim Dobson had a book years ago, Parenting is Not for Cowards. Marriages. Hmm. Maybe you're in a very unhappy marriage. I know some of them here, but I doubt I know all of them. Well, you are miserable, and you cannot hardly bear to get up next to her or him each morning, and each day you are reminded about how miserable you are. And maybe if you're ladies, maybe you're like some of the women have came to see me over the years, it was interesting how many times I had different women use this phrase, I just wish I was married to a white knight. And I could never convince women that there aren't any of them out there anymore. And that there never were. That's true of us men and women. We tend to look at other, other people people other than our spouses and think, oh, if I was just married to him or if I was just married to her. There's a reason that people who get married miserable first time get divorced and get married. There's a reason that about 90% of them feel miserable again and 75% of them remarry again. And you know deep in your soul what Christ wants you to do with that marriage and not just to endure. But what are you doing? What are you doing with the power that Christ gives you, the grace that he gives you? What are you doing to nourish that relationship? What are you doing to take responsibility for your own sins? I know that you know uh, verbatim every flaw that your husband or your wife has. Do you know yours as well? Have you reckoned and come to terms with your own sin before God and dealing with that instead of always criticizing her or him? These are the kinds of things that Jesus means when he says to deny ourselves. There's a lot of sins that we are warned away from. And one of them that's consistent throughout the New Testament or repeated throughout the New Testament is not returning evil for evil. So somebody's gossiping about you. And you have the means by which you can exact payment in kind. You have the network. You have a way that you could get even with them. Are you going to do it? They made you look bad. They're spreading lies about you, rumors about you. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do what you know Christ wants you to do? Romans 12, 17, among other places, never repay evil for evil. And we justify and say, well, I, I, I mean, what they said wasn't true. I mean, even think about Jesus. There was a lot of things that people said about him that weren't true. Even at, at his trial, it says he did not open his mouth. Denying myself means opting for what Christ desires instead. Increasingly, this is especially geared toward young people, but it's not exclusively toward young people. Increasingly, people who profess Christ are drawing unbiblical conclusions about things. And it's not just one issue, it's a plethora of issues. There are people that you know, part of other churches, who believe XYZ is uh, true now and it wasn't biblically 20 years ago, vice versa. Are you going to, are you going to make sure that people's um, approval of you uh, is most important? Are you going to be sure that Christ's approval of you is most important? You don't need to be hostile and arrogant and mean-spirited about what you believe, but are you going to stand with Christ and the Word of God, or are you going to waffle and say, I really don't want these people to think bad of me. I don't want them to think I'm unsophisticated or odd. What if you've just graduated from college and you plan to get a little more uh, education, and then you're going to take your CPA exams, and Lord willing, you're going to make a boatload of money. And then some of your misguided friends drag you along to a passion conference like about two dozen of our young adults went to a couple weeks ago, or the cross missionary conference, and you get introduced to the khaki people group, about 150,000 of them in Eastern Africa who originally came from India who are Hindus. And nobody's working among them. And it becomes clear to you that Jesus has in mind for you to get some language training and go work among those people, and you're like, "Nah, it's not what I had in mind. I mean, you fill in these blanks. What is it that you want that is near to you, that is dear to you, that you're not quite ready to say to Jesus, I'm willing to give that up? That's the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about when he says deny yourself. In other words, Jesus desires his plans for you matter way more than yours. Deny yourself. Jesus, when he was here, insisted again and again to the people that he preached to, I'm here on, on my father's behalf. I do what my father tells me to do. I say what my father tells me to say. John eight twenty eight. And Jesus calls us out to do the very same thing. I do what Jesus says. I say what he says. I live the way he calls me to live. I go where he calls me to do. I deny myself. And then Jesus said, take up your cross. Now, I'm just imagining being part of that crowd around the perimeter of the 12 disciples, the crowd out around there, and hearing Jesus say, I want you to take up your cross, I'm just imagining eyes going wide, glances exchanged with people on the other side of the crowd. They're like, what? As far as we know, this is the first time Jesus mentioned the cross to anybody. And for us, we like, oh, instantly we think of, oh, Jesus just wants to metaphorically tell us to be ready, you know, to do whatever Jesus went to the cross and we know that and we make jewelry out of the cross and Jesus had never mentioned the cross prior to this as far as we know he had never he didn't even say right before this when he said he was going to be killed he didn't say and I'm going to be killed on a cross cross had not been mentioned But the people in that crowd had all seen Romans execute people on the crosses. The cross was a means of execution sa- saved for just the worst kind of criminals. Uh, the murderers, uh, the the rapists, um, traitors, spies. You didn't die that way unless you were a really bad hombre. And now this upstart, itinerant Jewish preacher is telling them they need to take up their cross, instrument of torture and pain. What he was calling them to was to be prepared for enduring. Enduring. In the second century A.D., a horrific plague hit the Roman Empire. In a period of about 15 years, it, it took out somewhere between a quarter and a third of the entire population of the Roman Empire. The people fled the cities in droves to escape it. Marcus Aurelius, who was emperor at the time, writes in his journals about seeing caravans of wagons leaving the cities, piled high with bodies. Everybody ran away, except the people who had taken up their cross. The Bishop Cyprian was actually almost giddy when he heard news about the plague believing this was going to be an incredible opportunity for the people of the cross to portray the gospel and so the christians who stayed behind nursed the sick they washed the bodies and buried them of those who died because in many cases family members had fled and weren't around to do that they comforted those who grieved those who had died, and they themselves died, and the world took note. And those of you who are young are going to be told by your peers. You're going to be told by your high school counselors. You're going to be told by your university professors. You're going to be told by the CEO of your corporate corporations. Get out there and soar onto your success. But those who name the name of Jesus Christ, we need to understand that Jesus did not say to us, come and fly with me. He said, come and die with me. And please don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that we should not excel in everything that we have before us. Jesus just wants to know if the everything comes before him. And then this last imperative, and it's interesting because grammatically, it's a different imperative than the first two. When Jesus said, come follow me, it's a present imperative. I don't want to bog you down with grammar, but know this, that the previous two, deny yourself, take up your cross, Those are um, imperatives that have already occurred. This imperative is now a present imperative. You're doing it now and going onward, having reckoned that you are ready to deny yourself, having reckoned that you are ready to take up your cross. In other words, the following can only occur if those other two have occurred. And Jesus wants us to count the cost. One of the curses of the, of the gospel is, and we have emphasized the free nature of the gospel, and that's good. But one of the curses of that language is we can, <laughs> we can communicate this message that Jesus doesn't expect anything from us. And that's just not true. Back to that passage we were in earlier, Luke chapter 14, Jesus goes on to say in verses 28 to 33, and using the illustration of military commander and a construction worker, that we should count the cost. And so a man who wants to build a building has to weigh whether or not he has adequate funds to complete it. A man who's going to go into battle against a superior force has to weigh whether or not he has enough soldiers to win the battle. And in the same way, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you need to determine whether or not you are willing to die to yourself, you are willing to deny yourself, you're willing to take up your cross and follow me. Some of you know this story. Pastor Charlie, who is uh, one of our pastors here on staff, our shepherding pastor, came into my office about, Seventeen, 18 years ago I'm not sure of the exact date He and um, Liz had been members of our church for probably five, five years or so. And he said, "I, I don't know what my future holds." He was part owner of a family business, and he, it just, had just been made abundantly clear to him that his faith was not welcome in the business. And Charlie said, I, I, I can't do that. I, I can't check my faith at the threshold in the morning when I come in. And for the first time in his life was weighing the possibility, could it be, that God wants me in some sort of full-time ministry? Now, he had no theological training, so he assumed he would need to do something like maybe be a, a, um, uh, an administrator at a Christian camp or something like that. One thing led to another. I asked him if he'd ever thought about ministry at Keystone, and eventually we did hire him. And he got his theological education in subsequent years, and he has been a blessing. Many of you can attest to that, to this church in marvelous ways. But there's something that Charlie won't tell you, and that is that he makes a fraction of the money that he used to make. because he concluded that's what it meant in those days to follow Jesus. Following Jesus, there is a high cost to that. We say we love him. There's a a deadly cost. If you ever watch some of the women's channels on television, like Life or LMN, I think that's what it's called. Um, they, they often have similar storylines. There's a, there's, a, there's a plot that goes like this. A woman who's divorced or widowed meets a man, whether online or some other way, who has ulterior motives. She falls in love with, some of you recognize the plot line? Um, she falls in love with him. Um, but it's a dangerous love. It may be a deadly love. He may have plans to kill her or plans to kill her daughter, or something, but she loves him. It, it's, a, it's a love that, in her mind, unwittingly embraces the prospect of death. What Jesus calls us to is a love that wittingly embraces the prospect of death and everything in between to follow Jesus. Now, that's the, that's the tough verse, verse 23. The cool verses, uh, verses 24 and 25 back in Luke, in Luke 9. You read them again. Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And then he challenges those um, who are contemplating, well, um, I, I want what I want. And I want to move ahead with my plans. And man, Jesus isn't all that important. He get, asks, well, what do you benefit from? If you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed. What does it benefit you if you make half a million dollars or $10 million and in the process are spiritually lost? Jesus is telling people, look, I am the only way by which you can be reconciled with my Father. I and I alone have the keys to your salvation." And so you can come and die with me, die to yourself, and be saved. Or you can keep living for yourself and be lost. There's really no middle ground. We often talk here at Keystone that Switzerland, this neutral country, there's no Swiss on God's board. You're either for Christ or you are against Christ. And Christ is saying, look, What if you gain everything you ever dreamed of gaining, whether it's material wealth or or the accolades of of your friends and and even a wider audience, the achievements that you accomplish, you gain all of that and lose your soul. Jim Elliott, one of the men who was killed that day in the Kururai River by the Waroni tribesmen, wrote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he lived that, and he died that. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 9, verse 25, But there are athletes who train zealously in the hopes that one day they get a medal, or they get a ribbon, or they get a trophy. And these are medals and ribbons and trophies that are going to eventually deteriorate, end up in somebody's attic, be set out at a garage sale, meaningless. But Paul says we, we do what we do. We work the way we work for the prize that's eternal. Now, I have to clarify this There is no deed, there's no noble act of obedience that you can do that's going to earn you salvation. What Jesus was calling prospective disciples to was a beforehand plan. I'm, I'm prepared to deny myself. I'm prepared to take up my cross. And as we follow Jesus... That denying myself is sometimes I pull it off and sometimes I don't. That taking up my cross, sometimes I do that and sometimes I don't. But Jesus is saying, this is the mindset you have to be prepared to live with in order to follow me. And we do that not so that we might be saved, not so that we might be approved by God, but because we have been approved by God and because Jesus is our one and only hope. Let me close with a a couple of sentences from from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your money, so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down, hand over the whole natural self, and I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. Now, if you're here this morning you don't know Christ, this may have produced some big questions for you, and I, the staff, elders, and a boatload of people sitting in these chairs would be glad to chat with you about some of those questions. Maybe you're a Christian, and what I've described this morning does not resonate with you. You're like, I I prayed a prayer when I was seven, and I thought that was it. I don't remember thinking about why I need to deny myself or take my cross. This is kind of news to me. Is this what it means to be a Christian again? Maybe those are questions that you should wrestle with with someone else who loves the Lord. Here's my point. Don't ignore this as if this is just, um, this must be something that's kind of a, uh, a weird, um, over-the-top thing for Christians that are like hyper-Christians. And this doesn't apply to me. If you profess to follow Jesus Christ, This applies to you and it applies to me. Don't blow by it. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you that he was willing to deny himself, take up his cross, so that we could be delivered, so that we could be brought out of darkness into light, so that we could be delivered from our own um, pathway to destruction, so that we could have hope and a future. And I think, Lord, about the American church, and I look at our counterparts around the world and some of them in dire straits, living hand-to-mouth because they love Christ, living outside the village because they love Christ, in prison because they love Christ, um, at risk of losing their lives from family members because they love Christ. And in those kinds of places, the church is often made of steel, and perhaps with us, the, the winnowing has not yet taken place, and so I pray that this morning, these words of Christ might be in some measure a, a reality check for some of us, and maybe for some of us, a winnowing for the glory of God, and for the strength in advance of the church, the kingdom of Christ.